employees really stepped up to help with anything that needed to be done. So we've got employees helping schools now outside of food services as well. We're not seeing big top line growth that you would normally would do when you start to innovate and change a brand, but you are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel that you do think that once you're out of this that you will see uh, you know, more business and you'll be able to uh, give your customers a better uh, customer experience as well. I think the difficulty with pivoting a food service company over to direct to consumer is that it is entirely possible uh, for it to not be profitable. Honestly, in food service, it's being hit the hardest. Food service at heart is a function of a healthy community. You know, people sharing a meal and life together. So while it's been a financial blow to many of our customers and clients, it's also a psychological blow to the communities they serve. I think we've done a job, a really good job of giving back to the community, connecting with first responders, feeding, you know, nurses and doctors, policemen and firemen. But the other thing that I would tell you that I'm um, extremely hopeful and proud of is that how the team has rallied together to get through this crisis. Hi, it's Brian Denton with ProAct. We're continuing our podcast series on food service and crisis. Today, looking at the pivot companies have made to stay operational and meet needs in their communities during this global pandemic and subsequent financial downturn. The industry veterans that we spoke with gave insight into the challenges they are facing and how their companies rose to meet those challenges, sharing how their organizations are built and what the future might hold. We start with Joan DeLeo, the president of Old Time Produce in St. Louis, about the immediate changes that this storied produce distributor began to make to create a direct-to-consumer produce box program and the impact that had on her business. I think it's had a great positive impact. I think that... Um... I think it. I think that particular um, lane has has is wide open. I think that there's a lot can be done in that space. Um, I think the difficulty with pivoting a food service company over to direct to consumer is that it is entirely possible uh, for it to not be profitable. You have to. You know, th there's a lot to learn in that space. It's not that we're not doing it well. It's not that we're not getting great reviews. It's not that we're getting, you know, now we're three, four weeks in. We have many, many repeat customers. We have a lot of good reviews. But at this stage, it's like any startup. The amount that you're applying to each package um, in terms of labor and value add and whatever exceeds the profit that we're currently making on it. So, but it also offered us a way, and we saw that, to to touch many other people who, you know, this is an industry that by and large, all of our companies, be they food service companies, are running in the background, supplying food. Nobody really knows who they are. And, and I will say to you that after this, we know that now thousands of people know who we are. At Sage Dining, the closure of private schools also led to opportunity to find new ways to service their clients. Vice President of Procurement, Todd Evans, shared how their leadership began thinking about this crisis. So we started a um, COVID-19 uh, meeting every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, every morning at nine o'clock with all the senior leaders of the company. And we kind of just methodically went through a list of how to address uh, every topic that had come up and then even trying to be proactive around uh, some of those topics, uh, try to be the thought leader on some of those things. Initially, of course, it's employee safety that we want to focus on, but then also uh, client 
and community or student safety as well for those places remaining open. And then last would be, how do we modify our approach to business? Not, not only in the current situation, because that requires a lot of change in how we do business, but how are we going to operate over the next 30, 60, or 90 days uh, in order to keep things maintained? We were able to um, pretty quickly um, engage our work from home with employees. Um, from our home office here, our headquarters building, we had started about 18 months ago giving everyone laptops and that's worked pretty well. We've had some challenges with the network, but um, that's worked out. Employees really stepped up to help with anything that needed to be done. So we've got employees helping schools now outside of food services as well. Um, but other than that, you know, the, the, all our distributors have been very open about what their current status is. We recognize that uh, we all have challenges and I think it's been great that we're working through all these issues as they come up. For Delaware North CPO, Steve Harrington, the closure of national parks, stadiums, and other hospitality venues limited the opportunity for alternate revenue streams while increasing the opportunity for planning and preparedness. So we're focusing in on um, eight different um, work streams um, that we have leadership across the, the company that are focused on. So one of them is around health and safety protocols and practices. And as we think and, and talk about it, what we're saying is, how do you follow the touch points? So whether it's you know one of our associates or one of our guests, following the touch points through any process so that you, know, you can ensure the health and safety of our associates and customers and putting all of those procedures in place, any signage in place, you know, health and safety is going to be huge. Um, when we listen to what's coming out of uh, Asia as businesses have resumed, what we're seeing is consumers are coming back to those brands and locations that they feel um, like their health and safety is at the, the forefront. The second thing um, as far as you know, planning is workforce planning. So when you think about all those resources that we have furloughed and bringing them back on in a, in a productive way, and making sure it's the right volume to be ready for operating again. The second or third thing is facility readiness. So the facilities, our actual buildings that we're coming back into, are they ready? Um, marketing and advertising, how do we let our guests know that we're open? How do we send the message that it's a health and safe place to come to? Um, technology and system readiness. So when you think about whether it's our point of sale systems or any of the systems that we do that we have to operate, um, certainly from a procurement and supply chain and partnering with all of our vendors as we look towards, you know, I think a lot of folks are looking at simplifying their menus, which means we have less SKUs, which means we're going to drive more volume. Are our vendors prepared for that? Um, and in addition to that, all of these new health and safety supplies that certainly are very constrained right now, um, being able to have, you know, that supply chain filled so that that doesn't hold us up from operating. Um, certainly finance and cash flow is, is a point as we look to ramp back up, you know, making sure that we're addressing the books. Um, and then finally, from a contract and legal perspective, um, you know, have we renewed our agreements? Have we done everything from a legal contractual standpoint to make sure that we can operate again? 
So I would tell you, you know, certainly the last two weeks, there's been a tremendous amount of work and effort making sure that we've addressed each one of these components so that when we pull people back into our organization, um, we're ready to hit the ground running. You know, we have always thought that we had a very diverse portfolio as an organization. So, you know, for a hospitality company, you know, there could be segments throughout the year that, you know, have downfalls. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had fires outside of um, Yosemite that shut down one of our properties. We've had, you know, floods and hurricanes. Um, but I, I guess we never thought that our entire industry would be at the crosshairs of this. And so certainly I would say it was an aha moment when we realized that our diversity wasn't as diverse as we thought. But the other thing that I would tell you that I'm um, extremely hopeful and proud of is that how the team has rallied together to get through this crisis and how much we have engaged and continue to um, have conversations and meetings um, that are optional with our furloughed associates to keep them part of the team. Um, so I think it's a great, um, a great team building um, experience for, you know, our partners, our associates, um, and I think the whole country and our corporation are going to come out of this much stronger. Um, it's unfortunate, um, but I think we're going to be a better organization and better country because of it. The Saxon Group CEO, Matt Saxton, shared how their team is implementing innovations at their McAllister Deli locations in the Midwest. We really chose this past month to not shut down, but really to develop. And when I say develop is really innovate. Uh, it's unbelievable how adversity really breeds character. And we have a, uh, you know, a, a lot of industry leaders that happen to work for us, a lot of skilled men and women who have been in this business for a long time. So we were able to innovate, innovate a lot with technology. We developed some new uh, menu items, family packs, uh, grocery items. So actually, I have a picture that I'm going to get framed on my wall that is a picture of meat, cheese, and bread. We went from, you know, a top 75 franchisees in the country to selling uh, loves of bread and meat and cheese. So it's definitely humbling to see, uh, you know, kind of what we're doing now. Um, we also created a new social media campaign. We have about 300,000 followers on our various social media uh, channels. That's between Facebook and Instagram. And so we created a hashtag that is uh, fight for us. And my brother and myself did multiple videos. We have our area directors do multi multiple videos. And now we just released a video that is our general manager is just talking about how we're fighting uh, for everybody and obviously fighting for the restaurant business. So, uh, you know, we just chose this time to, to really work on projects that we've not been able to work on. And then obviously we are now getting ready to ramp up to bring back full capacity of all our hourly employees that have no longer had hours. So uh, our business is improving every day where we are down 60% at the worst, we're now down 32% as of lunch. Today I checked. So uh, yeah, we're excited about the future and we're excited to continue to develop and open new restaurants, hopefully at some point this year and get back to the normal course of business. We've had to kind of adapt and overcome. And this one is very unique because the, the federal government, obviously, and the uh, cities are shutting your dining room business. But that doesn't mean that we don't we still had a channel of business to do. And so I'm thankful that we are still able to do somewhat of a volume where a lot of people are not able to do. 
And that's why when I talk about innovate, you know, curbside, for instance, that's something that's been around forever, but nobody has really used it, right? I think Applebee's 20 years ago came out with curbside. And for us, we've really tried to now push that piece forward. And curbside now is 15% of the 60% of the business um, that we lost. So it's really something that we hopefully coming out of this will have a new channel for our business that didn't exist prior before. And with some technology behind it, we believe that long term, it's just another piece that allows the guests to use McAllister's in a different way. Uh, another piece we're working on right now is uh, order tabling. So when you do decide to go back into McAllister's and you can eat in our dining room, maybe you want to be able to skip the line or maybe you want to be able to skip the interaction with that uh, register or that cashier. So now you'll be able to actually order from their phone, put your table number from the table that you're sitting at, and we bring out uh, the food to your table. So it essentially is a touchless uh, payment system, a touchless ordering system that allows you minimal uh, guest interaction if that's the way you choose to use us. So we're just trying to make sure that we have every channel of business open. And so we want you to be able to use us however you would like to or you feel comfortable post-pandemic. And we, we're excited about being able to have those offerings for our guests moving forward. So uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of optimism. And with the optimism, you get your teams excited about all these new things you're able to do. And it, you still are able to push the business forward. You're not seeing the sales because of that. We're not seeing, you know, our, our, we're not seeing big top line growth that you would normally would do when you start to innovate and change a brand. But you are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel that you do think that once you're out of this, that you will see, uh, you know, more business and you'll be able to uh, give your customers a better uh, customer experience as well. For Vizian's Senior Vice President of Sourcing Operations, David Gillen, the shift in business has led to a shift in perspective to serve their clients and community by connecting with new, innovative grassroots supply chain partners. Hospitals are community-based and oftentimes in a lot of communities they are the largest employer in that community. You think of most of the small to medium-sized towns, a hospital can easily employ five to eight to ten thousand people and that's even in a small hospital. So they are a, a huge impact on the local community and there's there's almost an ecosystem around that. Pharmacies, physicians, all sorts of folks, but what they've been working so hard to do and wanting to change is continually trying to invest in their local communities and the local businesses. Will you fast forward to what's coming out of COVID-19? What's happening? A, a call I had earlier today, it was a, a woman who owns a company that makes uh, what I'll call spirit wear. She, her company manufactures all of the, the outfits that cheerleaders wear in spirit competitions. And she's saying, clearly my business is down to zero right now, but I want to keep my staff employed. And, and she's saying, I'm making these masks. I would like to start making other things. Can you help me? And I'm saying, yes, I can connect you to the hospitals who will literally help you with the specifications. They will help you source product, design, they'll proof it and be a buyer because they need it. They want to keep those folks employed in their local community and you have a service that you're able to provide. If you can cut and sew uniforms for cheerleaders, you can cut and sew gowns for patients. It's the sewing and the cutting, all of that is a similar practice, it's just you're using different materials. And so you hear those neat stories and where it really goes to the next step is it's better enabling those hospitals to do exactly what many of them have had in a mission statement, which is how do I invest in my local community? Because if I have more 
more of my local community employed, those employees are going to have health benefits and then they're going to go get preventive care. So I'm going to have a healthier community, eating better, getting better patient care all around, more successful. So it starts with jobs. And so you're seeing that job creation and that job stability as a result of here, in this case, someone who creates and manufactures cheerleading outfits, who's now getting into this healthcare PPE space and doing it with the help of the buyer, the actual hospital saying, oh, I will help you do this because you're domestic, you're in my community, and you have the capabilities that I don't have. I can't sew my own gowns. I can't sew my own masks. So it's those kind of things that I think are really going to make a difference versus a large national or global company starting to produce more of this PPE. This is a grassroots type of uh, interaction, and I think that that's going to make a longer-term impact for us. Senior Vice President of Culinary and Supply Chain for Walk-On Sports Bistro and Bar, Michael Turner, shared how their team used this crisis as an opportunity to make an impact in their community. You know, a lot of our franchisees have, have shown their, their true entrepreneurial spirit and they've gone out and they've done some out-of-the-box thinking, which I think has reaped dividends uh, with their sales. I think they've done an incredible job, and I think we have too, connecting with first responders, feeding you know nurses and doctors and policemen and firemen. And I think we've done a job, a really good job of giving back to the community. You know, obviously the Breeze Foundation, one of our our co-owners, Drew Breeze, you know, donated five million dollars to the state of Louisiana to feed you know kids in, a, in, in the state and a lot of our restaurants are, are as of even right now, preparing food to take and drop off to these kids at home. And then we created our furlough kitchen, which we've partnered up with the Front Burner Restaurant Group out of Dallas, where we've launched that in eight different cities. And we're continuing to do that, feeding over 5,000 people so far, furloughed industry workers and just regular workers and anybody who wants a hot meal. So I think we've endeared ourselves even more and ingrained ourselves more into the community. I think secondly, on the business side, is it, you know, we've proven, I think a lot of restaurant chains have proven that they can do it just as good as, if not better as, as the QSR guys or fast casual restaurant concepts where we can get really hot, fresh, delicious food out really fast, really quick, package the way you want it packaged and get it to your home. And I think that's going to open up even more of that business for us. I think that it's probably going to get more of a detailed eye on sanitation in general in the country and, and in restaurants. And I think that's going to force certain restaurant groups and certain in, in, independent restaurants to operate at a higher level of sanitation and safety, which we've always done that. But a lot of concepts or a lot of restaurants may have struggled with that in the, in the past. I think that's going to help as well. Proax Vice President of Sales, Christy Waters, who conducted these interviews, shared insights that she gained from the conversations, including key indicators about the future of food service. Some companies did find a way to pivot to generate revenue where they could, but some can't. I mean, Hilton, for example, the hotel industry, I mean, how difficult would it be to try to generate revenue during these times when it's about social distancing, there's no one really traveling, except for healthcare workers and frontline workers. So what Hilton did is they converted their hotels to hospitals in major cities like New York, where hospitals didn't have enough beds to meet the capacity of the amount of patients that were coming in that had COVID, but also donating rooms to hospital employees and workers that are having to work on the front lines. So they don't have to go all the way home or because they were coming in from out of town. 
you know, there were a lot of healthcare workers that were traveling from other parts of the country to assist in regions that were more heavily hit than their hometowns. You know, and from a, a food service and just fresh produce industry standpoint as a whole, I mean, obviously there were donations, they were figuring out ways or are figuring out ways, and they'll talk about it in the podcast of direct to consumer retail or take home products, almost meal kits to a certain degree, and just establishing those quick partnerships, but also to show and to reach out to the communities in social media ways. A lot of them had had significant success with social media to basically do pop-up restaurants with food trucks or things of that nature to say, hey, we're here, you know, we're going to make sure we're adhering to social distancing and we've got their appropriate equipment on to protect your health. But, you know, come eat a good hot meal, you know, get out of the house and come and see us. We're going to be in your neighborhood and things of that nature. Across the food service spectrum, companies shuttered units, furloughed workers, and began making wholesale changes to their business model where they could. Supply chains were altered and businesses lost ground that they had been making up for years. But the story isn't finished, and from what we've learned, the vision of the leaders in food service is rooted in the communities they serve, the employees that are part of their team, and the partnerships that they've forged to not just survive, but thrive. Our next episode will deal with the future of food service. Make sure to subscribe and share this with colleagues and friends. Thanks to those who share their time and expertise for this episode. And thanks to you for joining us.